Blog Talk Radio. We're here, God, because your promise has been fulfilled in us. We're here, God, because when we seek you, we find you. God, when we ask, we receive. When we knock on the door, you answer it. Your word is alive. Your word is alive today. It is truth. It is everything.
how far life travels in one year, and I'll do the math for you, it's 5.88 trillion miles is a light year. So as we talked about before, when you start to get around in the neighborhood of God, the mile is not going to help you. The yardstick, the ruler, the tape measure, these things are of no value in the universe that God has made. We're using a ruler called a light year that's 5.88 trillion miles long. And if you'd like to go to the Whirlpool Galaxy, be my guest. All you have to do is multiply 31 million, that's how many light years it is away, by 5.88 trillion miles, and that's the distance that you've got to cover. Anybody with me so far? I'm, I'm wondering, are there any science lovers here tonight? We're going to have a little scientific content tonight. I need to know if anybody's going to be with me so far. So you do the math, or you can look at it a different way. You just have to travel 186,000 miles a second for 31 million years, and voila, you will arrive at the Whirlpool Galaxy. Second thing that's pretty stunning, given that our God made that, is it contains 300 billion stars in that one galaxy, 300 billion stars, and it is one of hundreds of billions of other galaxies in the known universe that God has made. And it just reminds us all over again tonight, and this God that we're singing to tonight, he's enormous. He's bigger than anything we've ever dreamed of. He's bigger than our wildest imagination. But we end it by looking inside that thing, and this is pretty stunning. Those of you who seem to remember, but the Hubble Space Telescope is circling the Earth at 360 miles above the Earth, and it takes amazing images of these galaxies and other phenomena of, of the cosmos, and it looks into that white core of the Whirlpool Galaxy. Lo and behold, there is a black hole in there. And we've never seen it before until Hubble can take an image of it. And I found this on NASA's site, HubbleSite.org. This is what Hubble sent back to us from 31 million light years away from the black hole core of the Whirlpool Galaxy. They sent us back this image right here. And it's just crazy. It's crazy. It's the glory of God, the grandeur of God. It's the grace of God and the mercy of God everywhere we look. It's the imprint of God in all of creation, everywhere we turn. And tonight we just want to begin with the bigness of God, the, the grandeur of God all over again. We're going to do it by looking at four stars. Can, can you handle four stars tonight? The first one's easy because there's just one star in our solar system, and that star is called the sun. Thank you very much. Yes, it's our own star. It's, uh, there's an image of it for you, by the way. It's a little more fierce than we often think. It's 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit on the surface, but what I want you to see about it is how big it is. 93 million miles away, so when you're looking up at it in the sky, it's pretty good pace out there. By the way, light traveling 186,000 miles a second, it's only taking eight minutes to cover that 93-million-mile journey to touch your skin here in Atlanta, Georgia. But what I want you to see is the size of it. It's like a million times the size of the earth, and that matters to us tonight when you hear what the psalmist said. Listen to his words. By the word of the Lord, this is Psalm 33, the heavens were made. In other words, God didn't lift a finger when he made the universe. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. But he goes on to say, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. So we're looking at something so intense that we don't want to get any closer than 93 million miles away, which is what we are right now. And then we read that God just breathes out stars. It's crazy to think about it. A million times the size of the earth. So here's a little perspective that sort of changed my life. If the earth were the size of a golf ball, okay, the sun would be 15 feet in diameter. 
Okay, that didn't seem to move anybody either, so let me try it a different way. Let me just try it just a different way. I thought I might need this, so I brought a golf ball, okay? So all through the evening, this is going to represent Earth, all right? So this is where we are. I need everybody in the building to look as closely as you can and find yourself, okay? And when you've found yourself, I want you to nod your head so that I know you've located you on the Earth, okay? You nod your head, okay, you found yourself. If the Earth were a golf ball, the sun would be 15 feet in diameter. That's not 15 feet in diameter. Can we blow that up just a hair and maybe give them 15 feet in diameter? So here's a little perspective for you, okay? Is this working for anybody? Here we are on the Earth, and that's the sun. It's so big. It's so big you could put 960,000 Earths inside the sun. So if the earth were a golf ball and the, and the sun were 15 feet in diameter, you could put 960,000 golf balls inside that 15-foot diameter sun. That's enough golf balls, by the way, because I know that seems like a big number, to fill a school bus with golf balls to fit inside the 15-foot diameter sun. It's a massive star, and it's one of hundreds of billions of stars in the Milky Way galaxy, our cul-de-sac in the neighborhood called the cosmos that God has made. It's huge, and we're worshiping a star-breathing God tonight. And I want to tell you about the second star, okay? Because the second star absolutely wrecked my life. I heard about it when I was a high school student here in Atlanta. One of our youth leaders did a talk, and he mentioned this star. I didn't know how to talk to God for about two months after I heard about this star. It's called Betelgeuse or Betelgeuse. You can pick your pronunciation. I'm obviously going with Betelgeuse, and Betelgeuse is incredible. Here it is in the night sky. I know it doesn't look incredibly ferocious, but it's 427 light years away. So that's 427 times 5.88 trillion miles away from us right now. Draw it in a little closer with the Hubble Space Telescope, and you can start to get a little bit of the feeling of its intensity. But this is the crazy thing about Betelgeuse. Are you ready for this? Betelgeuse is twice the size. Are you ready? You think I'm going to say twice the size of the sun? Oh, no. It's twice the size of the Earth's orbit around the sun, Betelgeuse is. It's crazy. If the Earth were a golf ball, Betelgeuse would be the height of six Empire State Buildings on top of each other. Now, come on. Have you seen the Empire State Buildings? I mean, maybe what you're going to need to do is gather the family, get a golf ball, get some plane tickets, and fly up to New York. And you're going to go into Midtown, you're going to take your golf ball and put it on the sidewalk outside the Empire State Building. Don't worry about people thinking you're crazy. They're not even going to notice you in New York. You're going to go across the street. You're going to look up at the Empire State Building and imagine five more Empire State Buildings on top of the Empire State Building. That's Beetlejuice, and that's the Earth, and somewhere you're on it. You could fit 262 trillion Earths inside Beetlejuice. So if the Earth were a golf ball, that would be enough golf balls to fill up the Superdome with golf balls. 3,000 times. When I heard that as a teenager, that stumped me right there. Because most of my praying had been advising God correcting God, suggesting things to God, drawing diagrams for God, reviewing things with God, counseling God. 
The third star, let's just can you go a little bit bigger with me? The third star is called Musipi. Here it is in the night sky. It's that gold star to the top left. We, we have the big image of it. It's 3,000 light years away, but I just want you to see it in the, in the span of all these little glittering stars so that you know that at times when you look up at night, it is not just twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are. I'm telling you what you are. What you are is intense and huge and massive and ferocious is what you are. And, and this one used to be called Herschel's Garnet Star. Check it out. If the Earth were a golf ball, Musifi would be the width of two Golden Gate bridges end to end. Apparently, you're going to need to go from New York to the West Coast. Go to San Francisco with your family and your golf ball. Place your golf ball at the beginning of the Golden Gate Bridge. Go across the bay into Oakland to a high place where you can see the entire Golden Gate Bridge. Another second Golden, Break, Golden Gate Bridge will be in your imagination. Spread all the way back to two Golden Gate Bridges to the very beginning and find your golf ball over there. That's the earth and somewhere you're on it. One of the stars in the Milky Way galaxy. It's so big you could fit 2.7 quadrillion Earths inside this one star. Thank you so much. Where have you been all night? Now, quadrillion we have not talked about, and I need to explain this just briefly, because I don't know about you, but I do not understand the national debt or any numbers bigger than about $875.28. I get that number. Go bigger than that, I don't know. But you need to understand a quadrillion, okay, because this star is crazy big. A quadrillion, uh, let's do it this way. Everybody knows a million, right? How many know what a million is? You can kind of get your head around a million. Everybody? All right. You know that a billion is a thousand million, and a trillion is a thousand billion, and a quadrillion is a thousand trillion, right? Everybody knew that? Here's the perspective. This changed my life, right? A million seconds ago? Twelve days ago. Isn't that cool? See, that saves you doing that on your little calculator at home, which I dare you to try to do when you get home tonight. But a billion seconds ago, you're thinking, oh, my goodness, if it's 12 days ago, I'm going all the way back to, like, September with you, Louie. This must be crazy, right? How about May 1975 is a billion seconds ago? You're like, whoa, that's a little bit bigger than a million. Oh, yeah. A trillion seconds ago, you're like, uh-huh, I'm on the 1800s. No. Christopher Columbus? No. 29,700 B.C. is a trillion seconds ago. A quadrillion seconds ago, 30,800,000 years ago is a quadrillion seconds ago. We're talking about a really large number, and Musipi is so big, you could put 2.7 quadrillion Earths inside this one star. But it is not even the biggest star we have found. I love science, and science has just brought us the largest star they found, it's called, are you ready for this, Canis Majoris. Now, I'm no linguist, but that's a cool name for the biggest star we've found so far. I think that means the big dog star, and that's exactly what it is. I bring it to you as a little bitty purple, you know, glow just to the right of center there. But Canis Majoris, oh, wow. If the Earth were a golf ball, Canis Majoris would be the height of Mount Everest. Thank you. 
You just saved your family plane fare from California to Kathmandu, Nepal. Almost six miles above sea level, the highest point on the planet, and I just dare you to get up there and unzip the parka and pull out your golf ball. You could fit seven quadrillion Earths inside Tina's majority. That's enough Earths if the Earth were a golf ball to cover the entire state of Texas in golf ball, 22 inches deep. You see the one you're on? Maybe this will help a little bit more. This absolutely blew my mind. Just a little journey through our solar system. Everyone knows our planets, sort of how we fit in the story here. You see really quickly that we're not even the biggest deal in our own solar system, but as Earth comes by, you have to know tonight that we are living on a privileged planet. Anyone would tell you we're living in one of the most special places, if not the most special place in all of creation. But Neptune comes by and Saturn and then Jupiter, and you're like, okay, we're not all that big, even in our own little cul-de-sac. I just noticed the blue dot fading away is not the Earth. That's Neptune. The Earth has gotten too small to see anymore. Sirius comes by. Little plug for satellite radio. Not the biggest star, but the brightest star that we have found so far. Pollux, which we didn't mention. Arcturus. It's a beautifully named one, Regal. But then the one that messed me up. Our third star was Cephe. Cephe's cousin, WCP. come up here right now with a Sharpie and make a mark on the screen that would approximate the size of our sun. You couldn't even do it. When you look at these and their relative size, we just have to put a little arrow over there that says, if you could put the sun on here, which you can't, it would go somewhere about here. And um, can you hang on that for me? And when you see this, I don't know what happens to you, but I'll tell you what happens to me. A shrinking feeling comes over me, and it's not a bad shrinking feeling. It's a good shrinking feeling. Because sin, it has a, a way of shrinking God down in our minds and puffing us up in our own estimation. But just a glance into the universe that God has made resizes everything in a heartbeat. And you realize tonight we are worshiping an unrivaled, uncontested God of all kind of might and power and glory and awe who is, there's none like him anywhere in all of creation tonight. We are 
We are the teeny tiny ones, you and me. We are small and weak and fragile and frail. We are, you and me tonight, one of six and a half billion people on this little golf ball-sized planet in this massive universe. But I'll tell you the miracle of tonight is, is crazy and crazier to me than the size of any star. Is that though we are but a vapor, you would be, and tiny and frail, we are marked by majesty. And we have been created in the very image of the God who breathes out the stars and put the universe into place. You and I are fashioned and formed and ordained by the God of all creation. We are fearfully and wonderfully made, you and I. We are a miracle. You're a We are a miracle. You're a miracle sitting in the building tonight. If I could just remind you just for a moment, you are somebody incredibly special. Let me just dial back to the beginning, and I, I know you know this already, but in the very, very beginning, here's how you happened, okay? One cell from your mom found one cell from your dad. Now, there's more involved in that than that, but that's enough for us right now. And by the way, we should applaud the one cell from your dad because that one cell does a pretty heroic thing to be the one cell in the story that we're talking about tonight. One cell from your mom met up with one cell from your dad, each one carrying 23 chromosomes. The one from your mom was carrying half of her DNA. The one from your dad was carrying half of his DNA. And those two cells met and merged into one single cell. And when they did, those chromosomes matched, and they began to form together a brand-new DNA code using four characters, four nucleotides, they begin to write out what we have now discovered is the three billion character description of who you are written in the language of God. They wrote out your DNA, your human genome of three billion characters made up of those four simple nucleotides. And when they did, they described who God had ordained you to be. In that one little simple cell, Scientists say if you took the DNA out of that one little cell and stretched it out, that DNA would be six feet long, three billion characters stretched out to six feet long. So amazing that if I were to read your DNA, reading one character per second, night and day, it would take me 96 years just to read the description of you. And when they formed together, they wrote out, and painted a picture which had never been written before in the history of humankind. And then that cell did the unthinkable. It set out to build that model from one cell. I'm telling you, you are a miracle sitting in this building. You have come a long, long here you are, this may not be in the family photo album, but here you are at three days old. Sixteen cells of you. You say, what in the world is that? It's a sixteen cell human embryo on the tip 
of a safety pin at incredible magnification. So by now that one cell had turned into 16 cells on its way to making the 75 trillion cells that make up your body tonight. Every one of those 75 trillion cells containing that six feet of the three billion character DNA code this year. There's so much DNA in your body, by the way. If you stretch it all end to end, there'd be enough DNA to go to the moon and back inside your body. 178,000 times. That's how amazing God has made you to be. 75 trillion cells in your body. And when I told you that, 50,000 of those cells died and were replaced by brand new cells when I told you that. And then just now, 50,000 more cells died and were replaced by brand new cells. It's happening every three seconds, day and night, all the days of your existence, and you wonder why you're tired all the time. I'll tell you, you're doing some amazing stuff night and day. We're miracles, you and me. I love the way Augustine said it, one of the great fathers of the church and of the faith. He just nailed it when he said it like this. Men go abroad to wonder at the height of mountains, the huge waves of the sea, the long course of rivers, the vast compass of the ocean, the circular motion of the stars, but they pass by themselves, and they don't even notice. In the womb, miracles happen every moment. Here you are, five months in the womb. Do you remember those days? Those were the good old days. And this miracle is happening every second. Let me tell you about one. Million optic nerve endings left the optic nerve center of your brain in the womb, headed for a million optic nerves that had left your eye. And they had to meet and match their exact partner, one million looking for one million. And when they found their exact partner out of a million and matched up together, in that instant you had sight. And anyone would tell you that to this moment, the most technologically advanced thing on planet Earth is your eye. Oh, but it didn't do you any good because when that moment happened, you just had one piece of skin completely covering your eyeball. But as I read in one textbook, miraculously and mysteriously at about the sixth month, a little cutting device appeared, and it cut perfectly that piece of skin. And you had eyelids for the very first time. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And the God of the heavens is the one who fashioned you together. And he knows your name tonight. And he knows every single thing there is to know about you. And he's made you a promise that for those who trust in him, he will literally hold them in his hand and carry them all the days of their life. This Psalm 33 that talks about 
start breathing God turns an interesting corner. It says, for he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood fast. That's power and awe. But now it gets very personal. From heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of them all and is intimately acquainted with everything they do. And then he goes even further. And he says, the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him. On those who hope in his unfailing love, and here comes his promise, to deliver them from death and to keep them alive in faith. And that is a promise tonight because this building and our world is filled with hurting people, with lives that are spinning out of control, with pain that we, don't, we didn't ask for or could never imagine. And God is making a promise to us tonight. He's saying, I am a universe maker, and I am a heart former, but I'm also big enough to be intimately acquainted with all the circumstances of every one of your lives. And I promise you, no matter what comes in this lifetime, no matter how difficult the road or how dark the night, I will hold on to you and I will literally hold you together and carry you through any and every circumstance that ever comes your way, any moment on this planet. It's the promise of God. And you say, well, man, that sounds good, but how do I know that's true in my life right now? I mean, that's really what we want to know tonight. And I'll tell you how you can know tonight that God will always hold you together. No matter what. It's by looking a little deeper into the human body. And it's a little protein molecule called laminin. That's about what I felt the first time I heard that. Long story short, the tour was winding down. Last time around, we were in Tyler, Texas. The night was over. A guy walked up to me. I wish I could tell you the whole story. It was so of God. Introduces himself to me. He says, how are you doing? I just want to say hello. I said, it's nice to meet you. He says, you guys winding the tour down. Uh, where are you going to go from here? I said, well, I'm on my way back home to Atlanta, Georgia. He said, well, what's next for you? I said, I'm going to be preaching the next two Sundays for my pastor back in Atlanta. He said, oh, cool, what are you preaching on? I said, well, the series is on the glory of God in the human body. He said, that's really amazing. I'm a molecular biologist at the university down the road. Give me your talk. And I was like, oh, wow, I wasn't quite yet ready to the human body. He said, that's really amazing. I'm a molecular biologist at the university down the road. Give me your talk. And I was like, oh, wow, I wasn't quite yet ready to unload the talk for a molecular biologist. So I kind of stumbled through what I had, and he's kind of being kind and gracious. I'm like, oh, that's good. And then he says, well, what's your big left hook? you got to have a left hook, a big finish, right? I said, I don't have a left hook yet. He said, oh, Louie. Oh, man, your left hook is laminin. And I, I'm totally blank on laminin. He goes, Louie, it's a cell adhesion molecule. Protein molecule? Do you know about proteins? I'm like, no. He said, Louie, 
cells organize into certain molecular structures, and that determines what protein there are. There are between 10 and 60,000 proteins in the human body. We don't even know how many proteins are in the human body. But one of them is a cell adhesion molecule. It's organized into this certain structure, and that tells the cell what its job is in the body. And this one is a cell adhesion molecule. I'm like, all right. He said, no, Louis. It's like the rebar of the human body. The steel they put in the concrete when they lay the foundation to things, it's that stuff. It's, it's holding your membranes together. It's the glue of the human body, Louis. It's laminin. You've got to tell them about laminin. And I'm like, I promise you, I'm going home and tell them about laminin. And I'm sure when I do, revival is going to sweep across the church and probably around the world when I tell them. He said, no, 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 you've got to see laminin. I'm like, okay, I see it. He said, no, 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 you need to go look it up online. You need to go Google laminin. I don't even know how to spell laminin. Takes his card out, he writes on the back, L-A-M-I-N-I-N. Okay, I cannot wait to get to my computer and get on Google, click on images, type in laminin, and I'm waiting, and these little thumbnails come up on the screen, and I'm like, A cell adhesion molecule. Woo! I am so excited. I am beside myself. I cannot believe what I'm seeing. I love laminin. I'm so fired up. You should see laminin, I guess. That's the thing, right? Okay. Here is a scientific diagram of the laminin cell adhesion molecule that's holding your body together right now. Okay, this is what I found right here. No, come on, that's great. I emailed a guy back so fast, I'm like, wow, 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 what in the world? He said, you want to see an actual laminin molecule? I'm like, oh, no, man. The diagram was cool for me. I'm happy with that. Don't, don't bother sending anything else. I'm like, yes! And he sends me this image, an electron microscopic image of an actual laminin protein molecule. It looks just like this. But the stuff that holds our bodies together, that's holding the lining of your organs together, holding your skin on, is in the perfect shape of the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And immediately I'm thinking about the words of Paul in Colossians 1. You know this beautiful passage where Paul's talking about the supremacy of Christ and the sufficiency of Christ. He says, for by him, talking about Jesus Christ, all things have been created, things in heaven and things on earth. All things were created by Jesus and for Jesus. But then the next verse goes on to say this. It's crazy. And he, Jesus, is before all things, and in him, that is, in Jesus Christ, all things hold together. It's right, it's right there. I'm like, of course they do. Of course they do. Everything holds together in Jesus Christ. And he goes on to 
goes on at the end of this paragraph, and he just tells the story of grace. He says, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ, and through Christ to reconcile to himself all things by making peace through his blood shed on a cross. So you're at the toughest place in your life. How can you know that God is going to hold you together and bring you You know because there is a cross standing over history. And it is looming over this building. It is the place where the star breather became the sin bearer. Where the universe maker became mankind. And it is proof that God doesn't always change the circumstances. He did not changed them for Jesus on that hillside outside Jerusalem. But the cross is also proof that God always has a purpose in the circumstances and that his purpose and his plan will prevail and will triumph through any circumstance in this world. So we just close with this question. Down right in the middle of an interesting chapter in Isaiah 40 where it just talks about the expanse of God. He stretches out the heavens like a curtain, like a tent to dwell in. He leads forth the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. But then it takes a turn. And the writer of Isaiah says, So why do you say, O Jacob? And why do you complain, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord. Or say, my cause is disregarded by my God. In other words, there was a moment in the history of Israel when they felt like God had completely lost sight of them. That yes, I believe that God is big enough to make the world. I even believe that God ordained and made me. And now coming present is, I'll accept the fact that God gave his son on the cross. But what I really need to know right now, what really matters most to me right now, is does God see what I'm going through? Does he see what I'm carrying? Does he know that I can't take one more step? or one more day does he care and can he do something that's what I need to know and Isaiah answers he answers with another question and it's a question for us here he says do you not know have you not heard the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He's huge. He is a star breather. He's big. But, listen to what he loves to do. That God, that creator of the ends of the earth, that I do not grow tired or weary, that my understanding is too great for you, that God, here's what he does. He gives strength to the weary. And he increases power. For even the youths will grow tired and weary. And young men will stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord, another translation, those who wait upon the Lord. The Hebrew word simply means this. When it says hope and wait, it means that those who stand right in the midst of the craziness, 
right in the midst of the pain, right in the midst of the chaos, right in the valley of the shadow of death, and they don't gloss over it. They're dealing with the hardest stuff in life, but standing in the middle of it, they say, you know what? I don't see what God's doing. I don't understand what the plan is, but I'll tell you one thing. I am not going to give up on God, and I want to stand right here in the middle of this moment, and I'm going to trust that God is sitting on a throne, that he has a purpose for my life and a plan for my life. And I believe I want to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. And I'm not going to stop believing that no matter what. That's what the word means, to wait and to hope. And he said, here's the promise. You can wake up to rosy circumstances. No. Oh, he can't do that if he does but the promise is greater than that. He said, those who wait upon the Lord, here's what I promise, I will renew your... He said, those who wait upon the Lord, here's what I promise, I will renew your strength. And when you think you can't take one more breath, I'll give you enough to keep going on. And enough to keep going on. And enough to keep going on. And to keep going. And to keep going. And to keep going. You keep hoping, and I'll keep causing strength to rise when you hope. And you'll keep going. You'll feel like you have been swept up on the wings of eagles, and you will run and not get weary and walk through it all and not be. And I will hold you. Even when you let go of me, I'm not going to let go of you. Do you know there are millions and millions and millions of microscopic crosses holding you together right now? And one giant, glorious cross of Jesus Christ that's holding every one of us that's trusted in him all into the Heavenly Father and holding the Heavenly Father onto us and it's going to keep holding us onto him, that cross, forever and ever and ever and ever. We will never not be carried by the strong hand of a universe-making God, and he will bring us through. That is the promise of the everlasting God. Okay, welcome back to Prayer International Radio. Our call-in number is 619-638-8458. So that was a um, sermon um, video um, about God, which I felt was appropriate. Um, Even more so now, um, that is played again. it's been an um, interesting day. Uh, you know, um, <clears throat> sometimes we underestimate how big God is and how strong he is, how great his power and strength is and the midst of our circumstances. It's easy to say for us to trust in the Lord, to walk by faith. Um but then when you actually take a moment 
and actually think about God and who he is and how big he is, how massive he is. You know, when I remember when I was a kid, when I first got saved, I used to love to um, go out into the country and just sit underneath the stars. Living in the city, um, you don't really have that opportunity. Um, they call it uh, light pollution, but pretty much it just means there's so many lights around and from street lamps and buildings and houses that it sort of blocks out the view of the night sky. But for people who live um, pretty much in the middle of nowhere, out in the country, you look up and you see a completely different picture. You see hundreds of millions of stars that were all formed and fashioned by the Lord God. All the display of his hands. You know, it seems that life in general, the works of um, man's hand can sometimes blind us from the true understanding of who God is. There's far too many things that can take our minds off of him and off of who he is. But we have his word that declares who he is to us, his word that declares what he thinks about us, his word that declares what he will do for us and what he will do through us. So I, um, you know, it's, it's all of you who have the Internet should go watch that video um, called How Great Is Our God to actually just get a glimpse of who we are in the grand scheme of this world we're living in. You know, most of us grow up and um, go to school or college or whatever it is that you, you went to or are going to or will go to, and you don't really get a complete grasp of the universe. You know, they have the all these telescopes, like the Hubble telescope, that just peers out into space trying to get a glimpse of the universe around us. And while there's millions and millions of stars and that are far greater in the mass and the size than we could possibly understand or imagine with human understanding, ours is just one of millions of galaxies that are in this universe that God has made. And he just created and keeps creating. And science can't even fathom it, can't understand it. And yet the greatest miracle, the greatest creation of all of them was us. And yet David said, what is man that you are mindful of him? Which is something to really think about. What is man what are we that this great, all-powerful, all-knowing God is mindful of us? That he has made us who are in size minuscule in comparison to the rest of creation, but yet we hold such a place in his heart and in his love that from the very foundation of the earth, from the very moment of our conception, 
he declared a purpose over us. He declared his love over us. He declared his his determination of his faithfulness to us. And this God who is far greater than words could possibly describe. And if there were words, they probably wouldn't be enough. You know, Paul said in the Bible that he knew a man who was caught up into heaven and he saw things that were unlawful for men to talk about. The very sight of this place that Jesus said he prepared for us was greater than Paul could talk about. And yet it pales in comparison to the God that we serve the God who is an unapproachable light, the God who the Bible says no man has seen at any time except for the Lord Jesus. And yet, this Jesus who was and is God took the form of this minuscule man in flesh and blood to become human so that he could die on a cross for our sins so that we can enjoy eternal life something else we can't quite put our fingers on we we talk about it a lot um we preach about about eternal life in churches but we never really stop to think about what it really means and to break it down even a little bit would be to say that You know, man lives in this realm we call time where everything has a start and everything has a finish. We can plan things out. We can schedule things. We can, if we want, be on the rush because we have a clock that says when we should be this place and this place. And we know that everything that man has created has at least some point in time a beginning when it was formed and fashioned. And the world itself was formed and fashioned at a specific moment in the existence of the universe. And yet God himself was never formed and he was never fashioned, but he always exists, which is why he said he is who he is. Or he said to Moses, and Jesus said it once again, I am who I am. I exist with neither beginning nor end. He lives forever, always having been and forever always will be, never having an end or a beginning. And yet he invites us as men to join him in that existence of eternal life where we too after we have cast off this body of flesh after we have breathed our last breaths in human form our spirits will live for eternity with him and us too never having an end always in the presence of the Lord. You know, things like that are far too amazing to even talk about. 
it brings even more meaning and more and more purpose to what he did upon the cross that all men who were born regardless of who they are regardless of their position regardless of their rank could know him that they could have forgiveness of their sins regardless of what those sins could be and they could have eternal life which is what the gospel actually is we talk about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ which simply means God offers simple um, sorry God offers sinful people eternal life G-O-S-P-E-L God offers sinful people eternal life, which means it's a choice to make if you want to follow the Lord or not. It's a choice to make to serve him, to be in his presence, to trust him despite anything else. You know, in the message we listened to earlier, he was talking about how regardless of the circumstances, regardless of what's going on, there is this inner peace, this inner strength that comes from the Lord that states no matter what, you're going to trust him. No matter what happens, no matter how many mountains, how many obstacles, how many battles that you fight, you know that he remains unchanging. And if he remains unchanging, you know his faithfulness does as well. You know his ability is not lacking to intervene on your behalf. But it takes a choice to actually lay down your life before him. You know, Jesus said that we should take up our cross and follow him. And what does that even really mean? It means laying aside your own expectations, your own desires, your own flesh, your own will putting down your ability to understand and to trust him, to trust his knowledge, to trust his expectations, to trust his thoughts, because they're so far greater than ours. We so easily downplay who we are to God. We downplay who we are to the world, and yet his word doesn't. It says that he has written our names on the palm of his hands. That we are so valuable. That if he lost one, he would leave the rest behind that were okay to go after that one. Because we have such great value and worth to the Lord. Jesus said to consider the lilies of the field and the birds of the air. They never lack, and the Father provides for them how much more value are we than they. We who were made a little lower than the angels, we were who were created in the likeness of God himself. We who he has chosen 
to be dwelling places of his Holy Spirit, that this God who we serve would choose to dwell in us, that he would choose to reveal to us not only his presence, but his personality, not only his personality, but his heart, not only his heart, but his desires and his very thoughts. The the Bible says that the Holy Spirit searches the deep things of God. You know, all of us have um, things deep down inside of us, thoughts that we don't share to the world, things about us that are just about just between us, me, I mean us and ourselves. And yet God chooses to reveal the most intimate details about himself to us through the Holy Spirit because he wants to be in a relationship, wants to be in communion, wants to be in intimacy with us. And the offer of this eternal life, this salvation, is a free-for-all. It's open to anybody. doesn't matter what they did. doesn't matter what people think about them. doesn't matter what they've thought about themselves. It doesn't matter what they've thought about God. Because he said, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone. Every continent, every city, every town, every village, every street in your neighborhood, every house, every room, whoever calls upon his name, whoever calls upon the name of Jesus will be saved. It's a free gift that's open to everybody. And all it takes is asking and trusting. You know, I had an interesting thing happen today. This afternoon I had to go and pick my uh, oldest son up from football practice and... I was sort of tired, and so I'm driving out there and on the way to the um, to pick him up, which is just um, five, ten minutes down the road. Uh, my wife asked me to stop at the store and get some Dr. Peppers. And so I stop at this 7-Eleven, and I go inside, make the purchase, and I'm walking out to my car, and I notice these, this one guy trying to give this other guy directions. And he didn't really seem to know where or what to tell him and what directions to give him. And I I wasn't really sure what they were talking about, so I stopped and asked them because I've lived here in this town for a long time, and at least I think I know where almost everything is at. And yet this man asked me if I know where the Muslim mosque is. And I'm like, huh. Uh, Muslim mosque I have no idea where that's at <laughs> I didn't say that But I, I've seen it 
can't mistake its design, can't mistake how it looks. And I've passed it, I couldn't tell you how many times. And off the top of my head, I had no idea. So luckily I had my cell phone. with amazing technology. And I look it up and I find the directions and I try to explain it to him. And so he asked me if I can go talk to the cab driver because there was a cab there that I guess he was in. And so I go and tell it to the cab driver. And the next thing you know, that's done, and he thanks me, and he, he keeps, like, thanking me and thanking me and um, saying, bless you, brother, bless you, brother. And all of a sudden, he pulls me aside, and he does something I wasn't expecting. Is he starts talking about his family, who, um, from what I've gathered, lived in Chicago. And the next thing you know, he ask for money. Now, before you say any, you think anything, um, you know, whenever you're at a gas station or at a stoplight, people always come up and they're like, well, can you give me $5 or $2 or whatever it is? And But this guy doesn't. He's like, he mentions his family and he says something about needing $83.26 for a bus fare. And the first thing in my mouth is, or the first thing in my head was, I don't have $83. I have it in the bank, can't really spend it because it's for bills, and we're already short on bills as it is. Always trusting in God to provide, knowing that he will no matter what. And so I think in the beginning, well, let me just give him like maybe 10 or 20 bucks. And I know I sort of have it. He probably needs it more than I do at the second. God can always provide. And so I started thinking, well, maybe just give him the 20 bucks and or whatever. And so I go into the ATM machine trying to just figure out in my head without looking, having a computer there, if there's enough money in the from donations and stuff and money that we put into our per international bank account, which we really don't get um, donations. Um, we have, like, at least one person who has been faithfully um, tithing for the last um, year. And then the rest of the money that's in there comes from me and Chris. And and I'm not sure if there's any money in there after paying ministry expenses. And so I pull up my own bank card, and I just all of a sudden put it into the ATM, and I'm thinking about putting 20, and then all of a sudden it's like I have this really weird thought is that it's not my money, it's God's. And everything I have belongs to him. And so I pull out 80 bucks and give to him. And, you know, it's interesting about that is I give it to him. And that's when the real lesson begins. He thanks me and he really sincerely thanks me with such gentleness such, um, almost with tears in his eyes, and he goes on his way, and what was interesting is I realized that, though I, I, for a second, thought about telling him about Jesus, and I could have, there was something even more interesting is that God revealed to me is that 
that man, who I didn't get his name, don't know anything about him, don't know for sure what he's going to use the money for. And I realized that, you know what, he's God's too. And God has a plan and a purpose for his life. And God is going to speak to him. And God is going to reveal himself to him. And God is going to show him who he is. And it's funny, we walk along the streets and we go to work and we see all these people. I, I sometimes will be driving in my car or even more when I'm not the one driving and I can actually just sit and relax. I look at the hundreds of thousands of cars, especially in traffic jams, and you see this cars passing nonstop. Some of them with one person, some of them with five or six or however many they can fit in the SUVs and vans, and you realize, huh, God fashioned every one of them. Individually, God knows everything about every single one of them. And then you remember the verse that says that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Because he loves them that much. That his gift of salvation is available to everybody, regardless of who they are. Does it matter what nationality? Does it matter what religion they currently serve? He's still constantly pursuing them. You know, the Bible says the goodness of God leads men to repentance. It's the Holy Spirit moving upon the hearts of men, transforming their hearts, bending and shaping their hearts, and opening their eyes so they can receive what the God of this world, the enemy, has blinded, which is the truth of what's happened in the world we live in with all the technology and conveniences, all the things for the flesh to enjoy itself in. As the Bible says, the less of the flesh, the less of the eyes, and the pride of life. So many things that distract you from God himself that sometimes it takes God working in a person's heart. Many of you out there who are listening probably know of people who had been interceding and praying for you far before you finally made the decision to trust the Lord Jesus with your heart. And for a majority of us, there are people who prayed for us, interceded for us, stayed on their knees before God himself for us that will never know who they are. And they'll never tell us because it's not their job to get the glory. It's their job to intercede. And because they knew that it wasn't about them, it was about us and it was about God and it was about that relationship. We pray here on this radio show and we intercede for nations 
because we realize it's not about us. It's about the desires of his heart. It's about the love which he has for all those people out there that aren't us. And there's a lot of them. And if you zoom out on the earth and put us in the midst of the universe, you get a small glimpse of just how much he must have loved us to even create us and fashion us. And not only that, but declare a purpose for our lives. Each one of us individually fitting into this puzzle piece of this body of Christ where it says every member has its own function and purpose. Some It says some are arms and some are legs and some are eyes. Every one of us having gifts and callings that the Lord has placed within us, creating, as you were, a symphony when he builds us all together. so that we could carry this presence of the Lord into this earth so that we could glorify the God who created us and everything in the earth. It's sort of, um, I don't know what the word to describe it. It's sort of breathtaking to just stop and think about the Lord. Think about the massive amount of people out there who still don't know him. And the massive amount of people who do know him, but yet never really stop to pray, really never stop to seek his face or to go past the basics of saying a prayer and going on about their lives. And yet he wants more. We always sing these songs as Christians about how we want more of God, how we want more of his presence, more of his love. We want to hear him more. We want to see him more. We want to see him move as if we were waiting for him, as if we're standing there, our feet pounding against the floor, looking at our watches, waiting, as if somehow he's inconveniencing us by his inability to do things on our own, on our timing, and when we, we choose to want them. But perhaps the greater truth is completely the opposite is that the Lord's waiting on us, is that the Lord is waiting on us to seek him. The Bible says to draw near to him, and he'll draw near to us. He said to seek my face while it may be found. It says trust in the Lord. And so it doesn't really matter what excuses we come up with. But I think all of us could 
commit just a tiny bit more to the Lord? How much more time do you really have that you could give to Him? How much more time, even in minutes, that you could spend thinking about Him, dwelling upon Him, just talking to Him? And I think for all of us, we would find out it's a massive amount of time, far more than we could possibly think about or really would like to admit. And then the next thing to think about is what would the result of that actually be if you actually decided just to spend that much more time in his presence? to inquire of the Lord that much more about the affairs of your life. If you trusted him just that much more with what's going on in your life. It's interesting to um, think about the fact that we go through our lives and, you know, quite often we get so caught up, so wrapped up in everything that's going on that we make decisions like crazy and never really consult him that much, never really just wait upon him, never really take the time that's needed to get to know him. You know, I'm firmly convinced that there are times when we do need to seek the Lord. And then there's times that we don't. And to explain that is that, you know, there's times when you don't know what the next step is. You may have unlimited amount of choices or you may have none. It could be a roadblock or a mountain. And you don't know which way to turn. And you have to choose to just make a decision and trust him to be there when you get there, which we already know he will be. Or you just wait until you hear from him. You need a prayer answered. You keep praying. You keep interceding. You keep believing, no matter how long it takes. Because that's what faith does. It says that it doesn't matter how long it takes. You trust that he's faithful. It doesn't matter if you prayed for someone who had cancer yesterday and they still didn't receive the manifestation of the healing. Well, you're going to pray again today. And you're going to keep believing that he can do exactly what he says he can do. Because sometimes even the craziest things that you can do Sometimes you have to do just to take that step of faith. Sometimes you've got to move when you don't know where you're going just like Abraham did. Just knowing God said to go is enough. 
sometimes just when God said to preach, even when you have no idea what to preach about, you preach. When God says pray, you have and you have no idea what to pray for, you just start praying and you trust God to fill in all the little blanks that you haven't come up with. His scripture even declares that during persecution and tribulation, when they bring you before magistrates, to not even try to prepare beforehand some kind of defense for you because in that very hour, the Father would give you all the information that you need. Because God doesn't always need to plan things out for us if we're willing to walk with him, which is something that's present tense. Because God's actively moving. In every moment, in every situation, he's actively working in your life. And without you knowing it, working for your life in the background. The Bible says that we are the church of the living God. That we are the bride of Christ. That we are being changed into Him as His image from glory to glory. Not by ourselves, but by the Spirit of God who dwells in us. And we have an entire world out there who, in the size of the universe, may be minuscule and tiny, but in the context of the love of God, are far beyond comparison or comprehension. And that neighbor down the road from you that you never talk to, or that person at your job that really just bothers you, or that kid you see playing on the street who's really annoying or that person down the road who is selling drugs. All of them have the one thing in common, well, a couple, one being they were made in his image. And while they don't all serve his purpose, it doesn't mean they don't have one. But what they do need is revelation. Which is ironic because it's the one thing that we all have. All of us who have trusted him. All of us who have believed in him. All of us who have accepted accepted him as our Lord and Savior. It's the one thing we all have. We may not have money. We may not have amazing talents to preach or to write, or to sing, or play any instrument with any talent. But we do have a revelation that even Peter found out when Jesus asked who they thought he was, and he said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And in a world that's full of war, 
and plagues and catastrophes, it seems at times. A world that is constantly fighting, constantly warring with each other, constantly depressed and miserable because they're without hope. What they need is the revelation that all of us have. You know, Jesus said, freely you have received, freely give. What is it in our lives that still belongs to us? What is it in our lives that we hold back and say, okay, God, you can have all of this over here, but this is is just mine. I'm reserving this for myself. When yet, when he stood before the cross, he held nothing back. When God looked upon the world and saw that it had grown exceedingly sinful, when he could find no intercessor, he could find none righteous, not even one, not even a man that, like Noah, who it says was one of like only seven righteous on the face of the planet before the flood. It says that all had sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so when God had no other to turn to, he had to turn to himself. And he held nothing back. And so what is it that we really hold from him? What sin or what weight or what snare or what distraction do we hold on to? Because for some reason we feel that we still have some kind of claim to it when our lives don't even really belong to us anymore. They belong to him. And if it wasn't enough to do things because we love him, there's always the fact that there's an entire world out there that doesn't know who he is because no one's ever told them. There's a whole world out there that's dying, that's lost, that are at the moment going to spend an eternity without him. Not even necessarily because they choose it, but because they've never had anybody give them the choice or let them know they have a choice. You know, I love the story of the man at the pool of Bethsaida who was a lame and crippled, probably an old man who had, like many that Jesus healed, had been in that condition a very long time. And Jesus walked up to him and he said, Do you want to be made well? And up to that point, he didn't know he had a choice. He had always waited for someone to come along, always hoping that someone would help him into a pool, always realizing that he, in some ways, felt alone. But yet, Jesus came up to him and didn't give him a lecture in theology. He didn't ask him 
a litmus test of questions about his belief system. He didn't ask him about his sins or what his affiliations were. He just said, do you want to be made well? And then he pretty much said, get up and walk. Because healing, like salvation, is free. Because it flows from the heart and the compassion of the Father. But at times you have to have enough faith to make that walk to the person and say, you may never have known that you had a choice, but here it is. You may never have had hope, but I know where there's hope. You may never have known real peace, but I can show you where to get real peace. You may never have thought someone loved you, but there's a God out there who always has and does. You may have thought that you were beyond hope and unforgivable, but yet he has already paid the price to forgive you. And ironically, as we were listening to that message earlier and understanding how small we are, it brings more emphasis to the fact that the Bible says this revelation of the knowledge of God that we have, this treasure <laughs> we contain in earthen vessels, carrying about the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, caring about the knowledge of his death and resurrection, and yet he contains it in this, these tiny bodies that are so frail and so temporary that the glory would be for him and him alone. Because in the end, for eternity... Another, go back and think about that for a minute. Without beginning, without end. And we will join him in that. And in fact, we already have. Because we've already taken our places next to him. Because it says we're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Having been made citizens of heaven... As it says, we're no longer strangers or foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And so this eternal life that we can't possibly comprehend, we've already begun. We just can't really understand it yet. But someday we will. How many moments of this eternity do we let pass 
without living for him? How many moments do we let slip by without allowing him to dwell in our thoughts? David said, one thing I have desired, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Because David knew that it wasn't about how strong you were. It wasn't about how great of an ability you had. Because even your ability comes from him. Because even though David could slay a bear and a lion, he knew that it was the Lord working through him. And he also knew that the only place to find joy and peace, the only place to understand your purpose, the only place to get revelation of all of this life that we live is in the presence of God. And so second after second tick by. And while you can't give him everyone, doesn't mean that he's not there for everyone. Just because your mind's on work doesn't mean his mind's not on you. Because every second that passes on the clock, every time you take a breath, he's still there from now and throughout all of eternity. And how many people are missing out on that? So you can't go to China or the Americas or Bangladesh. Jesus said you can still pray and intercede and ask the Father himself to send someone else. <laughs> Jesus said, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send laborers into his field. Because while every generation since the resurrection of Jesus have assumed that they were the last, no one knows the time of his return except for the Father. But Jesus said, I'm coming quickly. And how much time is left? Knowing that this life is but a vapor. How much time passes that someone could have the joy that only comes from knowing the Lord? So you can't talk to someone. You can still talk to God about them. says in First John, if we know that he hears us, we know we have the petitions we ask of him. And I guarantee you that he loves all those people out there far more than we could ever imagine, far more than we could comprehend.
but it take, comes to a place where you have to die. Lay everything down, lay everything aside. As Paul said, for the excellence of the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. For the excellence of the knowledge of the Lord. Because it's the only thing that matters is Him. All of it's for Him. Everything's through Him. Everything's held together by Him. And His heart has always been reconciliation with those who are lost. Even those of you who may be listening now who think that you're lost, who think that you're far away. His heart's always been restoration. If you're willing to come to him, if you're willing to trust him, if you're willing to, even for a moment of time, lay every weight, every sin aside, Pick up a cross and follow him. Or just be still and know that he is God.
speak 